0: Welcome to PharmaTalk Radio Podcasts. I'm pleased to share a panel discussion from the 2021 Chief Medical Officer Summit on the topic of the first 90 days as a CMO. For more information about the CMO Summit, our editorials, podcasts, and webinars, please visit CMOsummit360.com. Thank you and enjoy the podcast.
1: Um, Since we have 30 minutes, I wanna do a quick intro of our panelists, and then have you be able to look up their vast amounts of expertise in the book, um, because we had lots of really, really good conversation when we had our prep call, and lots of lots of uh, insights and and. Uh, Good, good ideas to share. So Terry, you want to start first?
2: Yeah, I, I'm Terry Ferguson. I'm chief medical officer at Matinas Biopharma. I'm an incompletely recovered cardiologist. Um, spent you know a couple of decades on the academic side, moved over to industry in 2008. I am relatively new to the, the CMO role, spent some time on the big pharma side of things, and then joined Matinas in February of 2019 as chief medical officer.
1: Excellent. Rat- Becker?
3: Yeah. Hi, I'm Becker Hughes. I'm the chief medical officer of Blueprint Medicines. I am a uh, pediatric oncologist. I've been in the industry about 16 years. I've had two CMO jobs, this being the second. The first one was at a small, started as a 25-person company called Repertoire Immune Medicines. Very different business model than Blueprint Medicines. Um, so I'll share experiences from both sides of the spectrum.
1: Excellent. And Roger? Thanks, Laurie. Hi, Roger Waltzman.
0: Uh, Grateful that you uh, allowed me to participate virtually today. I'm uh, uh, an adult uh, medical oncologist, hematologist. I spent about 10 years working in academia as a clinical researcher and a clinician. And uh, then I spent nine years at Novartis in clinical development and medical affairs. And for the last six years, I've been working in biotech as a CMO.
1: Excellent. So all three of you have had... Um, pretty f- dramatic changes throughout the course of your career. And since most of the people here are from smaller biotechs, it, I, I'm, I'm going to take the approach that we're going we're to prepare them for what the first 90 days would be in a small biotech. Um, but it actually starts before 90 days when you're looking at the biotech and evaluating whether or not there's a good fit. So who can volunteer the kinds of things that you looked at and what you saw that made you decide that it was a good fit or not. And you can leave the names of the companies out. Uh, I'll go with Roger first. Sure. So we don't forget you. Um,
0: Sure, I would would say I I have gone through a transition as you described in um, looking at projects and perhaps valorizing projects initially um, to valorizing people and teams. And um, I spent many years at Novartis doing that. And even in, in entrance into biotech was thinking that way. I'm, I'm not a prophet. I don't have a crystal ball. Interesting science abounds. Um, personally, I like working on novel projects and novel mechanisms of action rather than so-called me-tos. Um, although there's always something to be said about improving uh, even existing agents. So n- nothing against those. Um, but over time, it has become clear to me that the, the, um, uh, enjoyment of the workplace and the potential really to accomplish, uh, quite a bit relates a lot to how well a team functions. And when you're joining as a CMO, those other people are really critical. Uh, the CEO, the CFO, the chief development officer, and indeed the vision of the board members. Um, and that's something to really take into strong consideration when, when looking at potential roles.
1: Excellent. Um, Terry, anything you would add? Uh,
2: I, I think that, that for me, it was sort of stumbling. So I was at, at Amgen at the time, you know, out in sunny Southern California. And I was essentially cold called by the CEO to sort of say, hey, would you be interested in coming to Matinas Biopharma that I'd never heard of? Um, and um, and oh, by the way, we want a CMO in the next thirty days. Well, you know that's not going to happen. <laughs> but um, you know, spent some time, spent a lot of time talking to the CEO because, again, fundamental to the CMO role is the CEO. Is the CEO and the relationship with the CEO. So spent a lot of time talking to him. Um, he's not a physician; he's a lawyer, but you know, is a really cool lawyer. And and had as lawyers go. Uh, yeah, you know, even as, as non-lawyers go, he's pretty cool. But but as we as we emerged, spent a lot of time digging into the background of what Matinas really was and the area that I was getting into. And I think that the other thing that I then spent a fair amount of time really trying to get clarified is what they were looking for, okay? Because CMOs come in in a lot of different phenotypes, and what is it that you really want, and take some long, hard looks at what I do, what I can do, what I do well, what I don't do well, and then just sort of say, how well does this align? Um, because it is a big leap from a, you know, 20,000-plus big pharma company to a little itty-bitty biotech in New Jersey that nobody has ever heard of yet. So, um, But ultimately, the stars aligned. But I think that, that you know... Connecting with the CEO, understanding what they really want, doing diligence on what they are really bringing to the table. And then, actually, the, the last thing I did is to talk to some of their scientific advisory board okay to basically understand, okay, how, how legit is the science behind what they are bringing to bear?
1: I'll point out one other thing you did, which is understand where you were strong and where where you didn't want to go or didn't have the expertise. i every single CMO that I've ever encountered who was a great fit did that. So important. Anything you would add, Brett? Becker, Uh, sorry. uh,
3: Yeah. I think that when you said to look for or ask them what they're looking for, that was the key. But I would add one other thing to that, which is to ask them what they think is going to be difficult in the future. So, I've did a lot of work. I'm very process-oriented, and so I thought I'd go from large to medium to small and learn how to run all kinds of organizations, cool science, and be able to pick a great company. But what I didn't learn about was telling a story at a time when people don't believe and really making the medicine and the science come alive, even in the absence of data. And it's really the, the way that you relate to the outside world, in my opinion, not to the the team that you put together that makes a difference. And that's what the, the CEO is looking for. They, they're gonna assume that you can run a clinical department. And while that might be a heavy lift early in a small company, for me at least, the hard part was really learning to differently look at the science, differently talk about it, and to help them and the board understand the limitations and the potential of what we were trying to do together.
1: Okay, switching, switching gears to you as a leader in the organization, um, what types of things did you encounter and how did you build the team so that it was uh, uh, highly functioning from the time you came in until now? That's a long, convoluted question, but it's a gap analysis of the team. and How did you do that?
2: Well, you know, I, I think for me, it it was actually relatively simple because I was the 13th person in Matinas. And they already had a chief development officer and a chief scientific officer. And this gets back to what they wanted from me. And, you know, you mentioned of, okay, what is the story? What's the narrative? All of that. What they wanted me for was to help build that story. All right, to begin to sort of craft that. And the issues for me were not so much about building my own team, but integrating into the rest of the leadership team and also from a very important standpoint, how I connected with a board and what that looks like to be able to do that. So it wasn't that, I, oh my gosh, I've got to now build this huge extensive team. No, I've got to come in, help work with the people that are there to assemble the story, and it was more integri- integrative than building and also beginning to understand the nuances of working with a board that I had not done before. Okay.
1: Um, Chief Development Officer, a peer or a direct report? Um. it was the chief development officer no, a peer yeah. of yours?
2: Yeah. Uh, yes, it was a peer. So, okay. so, so, so you know, I, I was brought in as chief medical officer with a chief development officer as a peer on the CEO's leadership team. Okay. So that that was how that worked.
1: I asked the question because it's an evolving position. And in a lot of companies, they don't have a chief development officer. So it... it, it I was at a conference last week, and there was a lot of discussion about the partnership and how it can be really valuable um, at, in, in a platform company, especially because there's so much to do. Anything you would add, Becker?
3: Um, I, I think that it was very different from the small company perspective. When I came in, I had to swim upstream a bit. I, I wanted to hire people that I had worked with before, even if they were in different geographic locations. I don't think that that's going to be as much of an issue now and in the future. But it was really hiring people that I trusted and that I didn't have to teach how I worked initially. But in my second job, I came into a really well-oiled machine that was going through massive or is going through massive growth. And in that case, it was, as you said, a gap analysis and trying to, again, bring in some people that I knew but trusting the recruiting process that they had and then it was more about filling in the right personalities rather than skill sets. Because in order to survive in a, in a company with a very strong culture, you have to bring the right personalities in and make sure they have the skill set. But it's not just a, a rock star in a certain skill set. Interesting.
1: Roger?
0: Yeah, I would say, um, having done the chief medical officer role three times now, um, I would say it's very important to come in and in those first 90 days, as the the title of our session describes, to take stock of what is going on in every respect on one's team, on the development team, whether that includes development operations, regulatory, biostatistics, et cetera, uh, as well as what's going on with one's peers, how is the conversation sounding uh, among one's peers, the various other members of the C-suite, and the relationship with the board, all of which should happen. FULLY WITHIN THOSE FIRST 90 DAYS, AND ONE NEEDS TO DO A LOT OF LISTENING, ESPECIALLY WITHIN ONE'S GROUP TO UNDERSTAND WHO'S GOOD AT WHAT THEY'RE DOING, WHO HAS A PARTICULAR SKILL SET THAT'S BEING USED WELL, WHO HAS A PARTICULAR SKILL SET THAT MAY NOT BE USED WELL, AND THEY MAY BE HAPPY TO HAVE uh, EXPANDED ROLES, WHO'S MAYBE NOT PERFORMING AT JOB LEVEL Um, don't go into it with the expectation that everything needs to be replicated from whatever environment one is coming from and see how are things working well here and where do things need to improve, but more listening than saying in those first 90 days with that team. And then I think making sure that one is aligned with the other members of the C-suite so that ideally you speak with one voice and understanding how the board wants to hear Uh, information, what are their concerns, how can you provide them with a state of affairs for the development part of the organization as well as your best sense of what the next one to three quarters will look like for them and where the risks are so that they can help decide which risks they want to take on and which
1: ones they
2: would prefer to defer.
1: Oh, there's a lot to unpack there. Yeah, I,
2: Harry. Just uh, just a brief add to that because as you were talking, I, I sort of was struck by the fact that that what you were really coming into is a new ecosystem. Mm-hmm. All right, mm-hmm. and, you know, and you are not going to come in and blow up that ecosystem. And mm-hmm. you may have your own ideas, but you have to be able to integrate into that ecosystem and understand where you fit, what you can add. And the other point that I would make that actually came up in our in our earlier discussions was you have to build trust and confidence amongst your right. peers and the other c-suite leaders to, to sort of say, all right, you know yes the, the CEO and the board have to have trust and confidence in you. But your other peers on within the company have to also understand what you are bringing. And you're not there to blow up the ecosystem. You're there to contribute and grow the ecosystem.
1: Any insights, lessons learned, tips you would provide on tr- earning trust?
2: Uh, you know, be transparent, okay? And, uh, and uh, as was mentioned, listen. All right, because again, you know, I don't know who it was that said you you ain't learning anything when your mouth is moving. All right, it's, you know, listen, understand what is going on because there is a lot going on the behind the scenes and it is more complicated than you think that it is. All right, and that there is always a lot there. So, you know, don't come in guns blazing understand the ecosystem and spend more time. And, and in retrospect, I probably wished I had spent more time understanding the ecosystem. Because in biotech, as we all know, things can change very rapidly. And understanding some of the nuances of things that maybe were not going to be my responsibility that ultimately came back to me was, was something that I probably, in retrospect, should have spent more time looking at.
1: Um. I'm going to switch gears a tiny bit. Um, In the last panel, there was a lot of conversation about partnering with the CEO. Who else should you work to develop that partnership with and why? I think it depends
3: on the stage of the company. Um, In a very early company, if you partner with the chief scientific officer, that's really the force to be reckoned with at the company because – That's your backup with respect to maintaining the integrity of the scientific conversation you have around the medicine. I think later um, it's important to do that. So in my current position, but really going to places where I don't know much, like the commercial arena and um, corporate communications is one that has been really important for me, because particularly when you get into successful drugs and um, multiple disease areas, there are a number of different ways to explain things and different audiences to explain it to. And that's a lot of what's not covered either in big pharma or in medical school.
1: Mm. Interesting. Roger.
0: Yeah, I, I would certainly agree with those points. I would say, you know, your customers are almost endless. Um, I would add to that group the, you know, the regulatory person who may be in, on your team, the general counsel, the head of IP, um, because uh, you're going to be ignorant to, to the expertise of, of many of those individuals, and they will be ignorant to some of yours. And so you want to share what you know solidly about the medical plan and what you believe in and what you think is right for patients that is why you're there to lead the direction of this company toward what is best for patients. And to ensure that the data are high quality and can do so. But to to ask the questions of the the other individuals whose fields you don't know so well so that you can try to make sure what they are supporting or what they are advocating for makes sense because there will be mistakes about to happen. And although I did just say one needs to do a lot of listening, and I still, uh, you, you know, believe that, of course, it's perfectly fine to say I may be a little bit ignorant about this particular aspect of it, or I'm coming new to this conversation, but help me understand why you're saying this, or how that's going to be beneficial, or why this is good enough because I have some concerns. And that can be done without being provocative or antagonistic. And there are times in my life when I wish I had done that because I just made the assumption, which is not wise, that someone else knew exactly what they were doing and it was fine to proceed as they suggested. I should have stopped and said, does this make sense to me or not? Because otherwise we might all be about to fall off a cliff together.
2: To build, and again, you know, when you come into a company that's got thirteen people, it, it's kind of obvious is who you need to be working with. That's mm-hmm. that's not a challenge, but the other aspect to what I was coming into was a circumstance where I wasn't just the CMO; I was the OMO, which is the only medical officer there. So, bringing kind of a unique <coughs> perspective that nobody else really has, I think, adds value. And again, it is a, an opportunity to build cohesion. And in some ways, I've actually become more of a chief communication officer of how you communicate externally, but also how you communicate internally and how you facilitate the relationships and how do you improve the relationship between the chief scientific officer and the chief development officer, mm. and get those. So, a, a facilitator, a catalyst, a, a somebody that is helping to coalesce and build the leadership team and the company going forward in, in a true, somewhat behind the scenes facilitative role, but also the glue that's trying to help everybody come together.
1: Okay. Excellent. I can't help but ask, in your first CMO role, did you reach out and try and find people who could be supportive and tell you what to expect and how to behave and what to do, mentoring, peer mentoring? Um, And I'd ask you to share how you did that and if it was successful.
3: I I reached out to two different types of people. Some were CMOs that had I'd worked with in the past. And honestly, then I was mainly asking them about the nuts and bolts of building a division. Um, what do you need when? What can you use consultants for? Um, and that was valuable information, but I think that what would have been more valuable, but people aren't always willing to, to share, is what's been the hardest. And particularly with what we talked about today, it's, it's talking to people outside of your own division and learning what's been the hard part there so for that what I did was I went to other people that I knew that were CEOs of other small companies and tried to get a sense from where they sat what it was like to um, work with the CMO that they had and maybe one that had been there before to try and see a little bit more about my customer
1: okay anything that either of you would add
2: well I, I would add that that again again I'm still in my first CMO role but I had kind of an added advantage because I was not the first choice for the job. And a really good friend of mine who I would worked with who has extensive CMO experience, they wanted him. He couldn't do it. And he said, I know a guy, which was me. (laughs) So I had essentially kind of a built-in mentor figure already. So even going in part of the preparation in looking at this, Mm -hmm. especially coming into a new CMO job was, okay, tell me a little bit more about what all this entails and what I need to do and how I do that. So the mentorship thing was absolutely crucial. All right, that, and it was also very helpful for me in the setup to understand is this a situation that I want to put myself into because Mm -hmm. it was so new? Mm -hmm. And multiple phone calls, multiple follow ups, multiple questions about how one does this, what this. How should I be prioritizing? So I leaned very, very heavily on Steve Zelenkovsky, who, who I, th- I think is out probably taking multiple phone calls as his CMO role right now.
1: <laughs> okay. Um, so that's a key: is find a mentor, find a, find colleagues um, to help you navigate the good, the bad, and the ugly. I, I want to open it. We have we have about eight minutes left. I want to open it up to anybody who has questions out in the audience. If you're still awake. Oh, okay. I can't see very well, so. Uh,
3: Great panel so far. Um, Quick question about that first step, which is kind of your gap analysis. And I think um, when you evaluate talent and you notice there's a, or culture, quite frankly, in an individual and there's a mismatch of like epic proportions and how you think about, Compassionate management, I guess Jeff Weiner talks about this at LinkedIn about transitioning people out and how you think about that, especially when you're in an early phase, but perhaps the tension is the longer someone's there, that is maybe not role appropriate for both culture or technical reasons, the harder it ends up being down the road. So I'd love to get kind of the panel's reaction to how to think about compassionate management in that context.
1: You mean compassionate termination? Yeah. Okay. Well, I,
3: I've had it go a couple of different ways. What I, I tend to see people as their potential. And so I'll make very clear what I expect that may be different from what I'm seeing. And over the next couple of months, it becomes pretty evident that they're working in that direction or they're looking for a job. And more often than not, I think that they find something else to do if they don't feel like that they're a fit. But I have had people who actually take up the challenge and really transform themselves and that's one of the most satisfying things that you can do so I wouldn't write them off from the beginning
1: well it's also nice to have someone notice that you have growth to do so that's a huge role that you can play that will benefit the organization I think there's somebody else over here
0: so I guess I would like to know what would you guys do differently what what have you learned and what was your biggest regret those kind of things
2: I'll start. You know, I, I think that one of the things, and this came up in some of the earlier discussions, is I would have paid a, a lot more attention to the financials <laughs> going into this in terms of really understanding. And I was kind of a lamb led to slaughter on this and um, hadn't really anticipated that that in my first week before we'd act, I'd even been in the office and met any of the other people, um, uh, we're out on the road raising money. Um, yes, it turned out okay, but but to understand the financials, and not that we weren't in a bad position, but to really understand where things were going, what the financials looked like, but also to have a much clearer view as to, from the company standpoint, what the next six months to a year was really going to be looking like. Mm -hmm. So to really understand that. The other thing that in retrospect, as I mentioned, that I would have done is to understand more about the other aspects and assets and other scientific underpinnings. I came in sort of laser focused on one particular asset. And in retrospect, this being biotech and things change rapidly to understand a little bit more about the other things that were there.
1: That's a good, very good. Roger, anything you'd add? Yeah, I
0: mean, I'll go back to the first question about the compassionate management. I, I think it's important to get a sense in those first 90 days of who's performing well according to the needs of their role. AND TO GET FEEDBACK FROM OTHER PEOPLE AROUND THE ORGANIZATION, BECAUSE ONE FINDS ONESELF NEWEST IN THE ROLE. THERE ARE OTHER PEOPLE WHO HAVE BEEN WORKING WITH ALL THEIR COLLEAGUES FOR A WHILE, GET A SENSE OF WHETHER OR NOT IT FEELS LIKE THEY'RE um, CARRYING THE WEIGHT THAT THEY NEED TO DO. Um, IF THAT'S NOT HAPPENING, THEN FIGURE OUT, ARE THEY IN THE WRONG ROLE? Uh, WOULD THEY BE DOING SOMETHING BETTER um, THAT IS STILL NEEDED IN THE ORGANIZATION, OR as has been said, does one need to have the conversation with them and say, look, this is really what this role requires. I see you're producing about half of what's needed here or something like that. Um, let's talk about how you may be able to generate the rest of that if this is indeed the right role for you. Mm. And I, I think you're absolutely right. I think the majority of the time people will start looking elsewhere if they don't feel like they are fitting properly. Um, and sometimes they don't. And, and one does need to terminate them. And... And, and explain why you think a different role for them uh, would be better. Mm. Um, in terms of what to look for, um, I, I would say I, I probably haven't leaned enough on mentors at the beginning. I collected about three mentors I stayed in touch with over the nine years that I was at Novartis, and I have gone to them with questions, but not that often. I, I guess I felt like I didn't want to be a nag, um, but I probably should have leaned on them more often. Um, with questions and then I certainly agree with kicking the tires about everything that's important uh, To an investor in the company when one is coming on as the CMO So do one's due diligence about the basic science the finances the intellectual property Um, All of those are important because if those pillars are not there then the table will collapse Mm.
1: We have somebody else
3: we have a question from the virtual audience okay Um, Jim Woolridge asking if anyone can comment on working as a CMO, working
0: with a CDO, uh, particularly when they are a physician, what are the differences in responsibility?
3: Oh, good question. So by CDO, you mean like head of R&D? Yeah, Chief yeah. Development Officer.
2: Yeah. Well, you know, I, you know, my Chief Development Officer is not a physician, so the, that I've kind of dodged that bullet so far. But But I think that it is a true... Partnership and I'm not there to step on her toes or tell her what to do. I've got development experience. I, you know, have have led clinical trials back back in the day, understand all of this. Um, But it is to come in as a true partner and collaborator and maybe with the view of how can I make you look better? What can I add to you? And how do we turn this into a winning proposition for you and uh, you know it's not that you're doing it wrong but are there things that we can be doing that ultimately will in your to your benefit mm-hmm. and to create a collaborative collegial environment
1: completely different job but one that you can partner with really really well anything you would add Roger you're shaking your head. Yeah, a lot. I
0: cert—I I certainly agree with that. Um, uh, it, currently, I'm working with our CEO, who is our chief scientific officer, and is not a physician. And I think we have an excellent alignment uh, on that. But I think, in general, that is a—that is a true statement. That there are different spheres of of influence. The chief development or chief scientific officer has to have a keen understanding of the basic science, how the mechanism of action of an agent is is effective, and and the benchmarks in that landscape that are relevant for it, and then one in the CMO role needs to be thinking about how does this translate into appropriate clinical uh, interventions, and what's what types of patients, and how will this be used, and when it, where in the course of the landscape of other therapeutic options, and therefore how do we study it and engage with physician investigators who will believe in the merits of such a clinical trial. That's really the landscape of the CMO. So they need to support the clinical efforts with reasonable, believable, basic science work. We need to capitalize on the knowns of their work, understanding that it doesn't always translate from in vitro and animal model directly into humans, sometimes better, sometimes worse. Um, and, and have those relationships with the physician investigators to make sure we know how to implement a, a feasible, a plausible, and hopefully successful clinical trial.
1: Excellent. Thank you. Sorry we didn't get to come back to you. One more, one more last words. Um, I think we're done for now. Uh, we'll move on to the next panel. Thank you very much. Thank
0: you. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. For more information about the Chief Medical Officer 360 Summit, our editorial, podcasts, and webinars, please visit cmosummit360.com. Thank you.